Welcome to Charity Talks. Today I spoke with Joey Savoy, the co-founder and co-executive director of Charity Entrepreneurship. CE's core mission is to launch high-impact nonprofits by connecting entrepreneurs with effective ideas, training, and funding. Each year, CE dedicates hundreds of research hours to identifying the most effective charity ideas. It then recruits aspiring entrepreneurs and through its two-month incubator program, provides them with training and funding to turn these ideas into high-impact organizations. So far, CE has already helped launch 32 highly effective charities, and I hope you enjoy hearing about the charitable areas that have benefited from CE's innovative approach. Welcome to Charity Talks. I'm Brooke Tineski, and today I'm speaking with Joey Savoy, the co-founder and co-executive director of Charity Entrepreneurship. Joey, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's really great to be here. So to start, can you tell us about your background and how you came to found Charity Entrepreneurship? Absolutely. So I would say I was always uh, altruistic, always excited about doing good for the world, but maybe got steadily better at it uh, as I got older. So worked for a bunch of different charities. I think my first job ever was an NGO job. So I've been in the sector for a long time, but got progressively more, I guess, skeptical that that all charities do good. You know, some of them were doing really great work. Some of them were doing more mediocre work. Uh, so ended up in the kind of entrepreneurial side of things in terms of, okay, well, if you're not kind of happy with charities in the space, maybe you have to go and found it yourself. So did a kind of foray in that, uh, originally kind of a, a marketing and fundraising charity to help other charities get support, uh, then a direct vaccination charity. But the real kind of exciting, surprising thing that came out of that is when my team was doing research for what charity to found, because we didn't kind of want to found any charity, we wanted to found one of the best charities, we came up with five really great ideas. And we picked one of them and founded it. And this was uh, vaccine text message reminders uh, in India. And that was great. But the other four ideas, we didn't really have the capacity to implement. So we weren't able to kind of take it to the next level. So we put it out to the charity world, put it out to the effective altruism world, kind of said to people, hey, these look really great. I think with a strong team, these could be, you know, kind of top-notch charities, some of the best charities in their respective fields. And there was a lot of interest, a lot of funders who were interested, a lot of people who wanted to get involved as a part of the team, but no one who was willing to quite pick up the ball and run it the whole way without help. It just seemed very intimidating. And I couldn't really lie in that it was pretty intimidating. Having just founded a charity myself, it was taking 150% of our team's time. We'd already done something pretty similar as in terms of a smaller scale project. So uh, it was it was a big task. But fast forward maybe about two years later, and we finally have a bit more breathing space at uh, Charity Science Health at the vaccination project. So I'm able to step back a few of my hours. And I go back to a few of those people who are interested and I say, what if I helped you a little bit? What if I gave you this tiny push? I'm able to give you one hour a week of consulting just to make sure you don't make the same stupid mistakes I just made in the last two years. And we'll give you a tiny seed grant. I think it was $30,000 or something like this, uh, which at that point, because our organization was, you know, uh, uh, almost a million dollar organization at that point was a very small uh, kind of tester thing. So went to Brendan, uh, who was one of the people who was excited about it and said, kind of made him this offer. He found a co-founder, Nikita. They ended up starting Fortify Health. Damn, charity's better than our charity. Um, <laughs> it, it went super well um, and kind of knocked out of the park, became Givel incubated, and is still kind of on the process to getting Givel recommended. So really stand out. And that kind of lit up this spark of, 
wait a second, this was a fantastic charity that almost didn't start because of this incredibly small investment, uh, this, this tiny amount of time, this tiny amount of help, just kind of showing the path, that, a kind of mentorship charity that, that helped them along the way. So that's really how CE came to be is what's the formalization of that? What does it look like if you build a school or build an institution that helps people get charities off the ground that maybe wouldn't be able to go the whole way themselves, but you knock down a few of these stupid barriers, you know, registration, real pain if you're one charity, not that hard if you're doing 10 a year. Fundraising, real pain if it's your first time ever, not that hard if you've done it for 10 charities a year. So kind of knock out some of these easy barriers and uh, co-founder pairing, maybe the biggest thing that we offer, finding someone else who's as excited about your idea as you are. Um, yeah, and that's how CE kind of, I guess, came to be. And now five years in, we've got, I guess, 32 charities that have gone through and launched out of the program. And uh, many of them are field leaders. I'm excited to say I think a ton of them are more successful than any charities that I've worked on. So uh, that's a very exciting outcome. So what would you say CE's core mission is? I think the the, the core is we want to get more field leading charities founded. And the field leading part is actually really important because the charity world is bit of a competitive game. Uh, often if you're kind of starting a charity, taking money away from another charity, which is sad. I'd, I'd love to grow the pie, but the charitable pie has been fairly fixed at about 2% of uh, donations for a really long time. So where you get the real impact is starting one of the best of the best, starting someone who's just way above and beyond. So in the global poverty space, this would be someone who'd be, say, Givel recommended, you know, recommended by a top charity evaluator. Um, but we kind of are looking for that bar across all the different cause areas we're working at. So if we found a mental health charity or found a family planning charity or an animal charity, we're looking at, is this going to be one of the five best charities in the field in terms of getting the most good done per dollar, in terms of having a really strong evidence base, in terms of being really accountable. Uh, so that's uh, the, the the important aspect of field leading. Not to say all of our charities will be, you know, it's entrepreneurship. It's a lot like any other incubator where a few of them are going to be really successful and have this massive impact. Some of them are going to shut down in the first 12 months and some of them are going to kind of be in the middle trying to find their way. But that's the, the goal. The goal is to start these field leaders. Yeah. And so could you just take us through how your incubator program takes an idea and actually makes it a reality? Yeah, so I would describe it as kind of this mixing of, of multiple ingredients, right? So one of the ingredients is the idea itself. Um, how do we come to that? Answer is an intensive research process. So we have five or six full-time researchers. They'll take an area, let's say family planning, and kind of systematically go through all the possible interventions, uh, narrow it down kind of over successive rounds of depth, and end up at some really promising ideas. So we might start with a one-hour report on something like 100 different ideas, and then that might eventually result in an 80 to 100-hour report for five or six different ideas with three getting recommended. So that's kind of an interesting thing that people primarily aren't coming into our program with an idea. They're coming in maybe with a vague cause area. They care about humans, they care about animals, something like this. But they're kind of looking at these ideas that have had a huge amount of research, more research than an individual would typically be able to put behind it, uh, that kind of makes it look promising. And we're looking at both the intervention being promising and it being a good fit for a new charity. You know, some areas, uh, I often use bed nets as an example, uh, are really promising areas, but have really, really strong charities in them. So you don't really need a new charity in an area like that. And some charities aren't, or some areas aren't super conducive to new charities. You know, it could be something that's policy involved, where you have to have a really large number of stakeholders and a huge amount of budget. R&D development stuff is quite hard to do as a small charity. So there's something that they get ruled out. But in terms of where a new charity would have the most impact, we try to come up with that list. Second ingredient is the, the people, of course. Um, so this is actually what I think the the, the real secret sauce of, of charity entrepreneurship is. I think that uh, this isn't really a career path on people's radars. No, no one's kind of as a kid growing up thinking, oh, I'm going to go found a charity. You know, some people might be thinking about for-profit entrepreneurship. Almost no one thinking about starting a charity. So getting it on people's radars and kind of telling them that they can do it. 
people often have this trope in their head of, okay, you need to be this super charismatic entrepreneur since birth kind of person to, to be a charity founder. Some of our best founders are introverts. Some of our best founders are research-oriented people who then pivoted towards the kind of entrepreneurial direction. So I think breaking some of those stereotypes, telling people, hey, you can do it. And then, of course, vetting down from a really quite large number of people who apply uh, to this pretty small number of, I guess, 15 people who come into the program who are a really good fit on a bunch of different elements. Typically for people, we're looking for baseline characteristics that could make someone a good fit. So are they gritty? Are they conscientious? Are they really hardworking? Do they value impact really highly? They shut down the charity if it doesn't show off impact. These sort of characteristics. It's actually less important that they have a really deep experience in vaccination specifically. That sort of thing you can become an expert in. And once you start a charity, you, you have to become an expert in it. Um, so it's more about these kind of baseline characteristics that make someone a really good fit for entrepreneurship, which is why we can have a, a broad pool of, say, 15 people interested in global poverty. They're all kind of matching with each other. Then I guess the third thing that's kind of the, the mixing of the soup is the training program. So we try to teach people all the basic elements that they might need when starting a charity. So some of this is stuff like ad administration and how to register and how to do some basic fundraising and these sort of aspects. Some of it's more advanced stuff that field-leading charities do, but less field-leading charities don't. So how to get your measurements and evaluation really down, how to really know if you're having an impact, how to get an external set of eyes to look at stuff, how to make a tough decision when you know you have uh, experts saying one thing and a study saying another thing, how to kind of balance off those trade-offs. Um, and we kind of practice them and they're kind of testing out different ideas, different co-founders and learning the skills as they go through the program um, about all these different things. That kind of wraps up at the end. They make a really good proposal for what they're going to launch off with. We put that in front of some seed funders who often uh, fund the first 12 months uh, and then they're kind of off to the races. And we continue to support them, but I would say we're most useful in that first two months and a little bit useful the next year. And then they're pretty much uh, on their own independent entities doing fantastic things. Then we start asking them for advice. Very cool. Yeah. And you mentioned how CEs is the one doing the identifying the most effective charitable ideas. And so I'm just kind of curious, how do you go about doing that? What are some of the different you know, metrics and ideas involved in that? Yeah. So typically we'll pick uh, a cause area focus. So say mental health or family planning or global health policy or something like this as kind of a, a slight scope focus. And then we'll do this big brainstorm and we'll get lists uh, partly from our researchers kind of uh, writing things, but partly from other organizations that have done stuff. So, you know, if some government body has already come up with best buys for a given area or some think tank has already generated a list, we'll look at those and start to compile those. But we also try to come in with quite a, quite a fresh mind. So maybe 10 experts say that these three things are the best. We try to really look at the data and make sure that that's not just kind of the common wisdom. There's actually uh, something backing it. And sometimes there is, but sometimes there's stuff that's missed. Something that someone's ruled out because it was too small or too neglected or too weird looking or, or, or brand new. Sometimes the NGO sector is very slow to adapt uh, on tech trends and this sort of thing. So there's a bunch of reasons that kind of promising ideas don't get founded. Overall, it's not a very efficient market. So it's not like a for-profit market where something's really great, it gets snapped up right away. Uh, most people aren't optimizing for cost-effectiveness or evidence-based or kind of doing the most good. Many people are starting charities, you know, based on being personally affected by something, based on someone they know being personally affected, which makes a lot of sense from a motivation perspective, but means that there can be really great ideas that maybe affect people in, you know, a country that doesn't have a lot of resources or maybe affects fish and they are really bad at starting charities. We've tried, but just can't get them rolling on it. Um, so there's lots of reasons that kind of get your ideas get missed and then kind of identifying it through uh, ends up being a process. Um, yeah, it 
a, a question people often ask is, are people passionate about kind of coming in if there's these preset list of ideas? And I think the answer is, our incubators are typically passionate about making a difference. And the exact form doesn't make a huge difference. You know, if someone dies of malaria or someone dies of cancer, um, it's, it's the, the problem is that we're missing that amazing person, right? It's not exactly what what the thing was that, that caused it. So I think a lot of them are kind of coming in with this open-minded mentality, which does mean we can just dive into the books and the research and, and find the things that are most promising. We also do a lot of uh, speaking to experts as well. Um, so it's not just a book level of reading. It is kind of talking to the people in the field, looking at the implementation data, trying to get a real sense of what is actually missing and what might be neglected. Yeah, I was just wondering, I know you also have a grant making program that works alongside the incubator program. So I was just curious, how does that how does that work? Yes, very new and exciting, much less established than our kind of classic charity program. I'd kind of describe our, our classic charity program as almost like the, the the department of the uni that's most established. You know, it's it's the the, the stocky econ department that's been around for a hundred million years and, and that sort of thing. I mean, in our case, it's five years, but in you know, entrepreneurship terms, that's uh, that's pretty old. Uh, the foundation program is a lot newer. And this got inspired for actually quite a similar reason to, to how CE got inspired. We just had some grant-making foundations kind of knocking on our door saying, hey, this content looks really useful. Can I go through the program? And I was like, uh, I, I don't know if that really makes sense. It's for implementation charities. It's a bunch of people who are uh, typically going to be doing direct delivery stuff. Uh, I don't know if a grant maker is really going to fit in. But one of them was able to persuade me, like, okay, give it a chance. Let, let, let me enter the program, see what it's like. They were a really good entrepreneur, and it seemed weird to exclude them because they had some funding that they could throw behind a project. So they went through, pivoted quite dramatically to more effective directions, found another person in the program who kind of became their co-runner of the foundation and uh, did a lot of really great things. And that made us think, wow, that seems like a real missing opportunity. But there just wasn't that many things in the grant-making space that were kind of shaped the same way. In grant-making, there's lots of people who want to tell you exactly what to do. You know, donate to this charity, this is my favorite, um, or uh, pitching you like a really specific outcome. There wasn't a lot of things that were more structured like an MBA program, more structured like we want to give you the tools of cost-effectiveness, evidence-based, how you might assess a thousand options down to 10, and then kind of let them do it. But that's what we were structured to do. We're more structured like a like a unit than anything else in terms of we want to train people up and have them go off. I certainly don't have time to advise 25 different grant makers. Um, we want to give them the baseline skills such that there's this distributed network of people making uh, kind of really good choices. And, you know, maybe it's slightly different ethics and slightly different uh, cause area selection and slightly different that sort of thing. But all kind of trying to fundamentally maximize the most good. So we've run that three times now. I guess we've had uh, something like 18 foundations who have gone through it. And uh, I'm feeling really optimistic about it. A lot of them have done really great things and moving on and kind of like fleshed out their scope and opportunities. And yeah, there seems to be appetite. There, there's just not that much when it comes to uh, how to actually make the most difference uh, with your grant making without prescribing a, a really specific sort of outcome. Great. Yeah. And then just a more general, I guess, question I want to ask is, what do you think is the value in taking an entrepreneurial approach to nonprofit work? Yeah, I think there's a lot of really interesting things that come out when you when you kind of take this lens, right? Um, nonprofits uh, typically would be known for being slow, um, for being uh, not very tech focused, uh, for being not that ambitious, quite conservative, to be very, very donor driven. So uh, a donation really uh, being the main thing that, that affects them. And I think that the entrepreneurial mindset is really different. You know, it's ship something quick. It's testing something on the field right away and see if you're getting results. It's move fast and break things. You know, it, it kind of has this, this different cultural mentality, which I think a lot of lessons cross apply quite directly to founding a charity. I mean, 
founding an early stage charity, there's some things that are different. You know, fundraising is a little bit different. How you do measurement and evaluation is a little bit different, but a lot of the things are the same. How do you hire your first couple of great staff? How do you get OKRs and, and kind of your goals done really quickly? How do you test something out given an extremely limited time budget and money budget? Uh, these are kind of like core things that the entrepreneurship in the for-profit space have figured out and that the nonprofit sector are, are still kind of fumbling around or, or figuring out or, or doing it very slowly. So I think there's a lot of really cool, interesting overlaps that make kind of the entrepreneurial hat particularly valuable in the nonprofit sector and allow a lot of like neat ideas that maybe, uh, yeah, wouldn't get tested by by a charity that's massive and, and kind of iterating out in, in different ways as to how the, the NGO sector typically works. Something I felt was crazy and impressive is I know at CE estimates that starting a high impact charity has the same impact as donating $200,000 to the most effective NGOs every year. So can you tell us a bit more about the overall impact CE has had since its founding? Yeah, yeah, it's massive. And that, that number has actually even gone up a little bit in wow. our more recent estimates. So now it's in the in the ballpark of 300000 a year. And it's basically because if you can start one of these really great charities, you can move uh, quite a lot of money, get quite a lot of scale, end up doing uh, quite a lot of impact. And these ideas are fundamentally people-capped. So we actually still end up with more ideas and more funding than we end up with entrepreneurs who are a really good fit to found them. So your difference is really significant there as a founder. You're kind of enabling another charity to exist in the world. And then the difference between that charity versus kind of the, the market charity, the standard charity you're competing with, uh, is the impact that you're creating. Of course, divided between your your co-founders and your other staff and CE helping you out on these sort of things. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of impactful careers, it's it's really really high up there. I think it's very tough uh, for other jobs to kind of compete with it if you're a good fit for it. It's not a good fit for everyone. It comes with all the standard kind of downsides of entrepreneurialism in general. It's high risk. It's a bit scary. It's not a great work-life balance. It's pretty intense. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of challenges that make it, I think, not the top career path for people, for everyone. But for the people, it is one of your top career paths. I think it's extremely tough for other jobs to compete with it impact-wise because, you know, looking at a multi-million dollar org that wouldn't have existed or wouldn't have gotten off the ground or would have just stayed on a dusty shelf as a research report and knowing that you were kind of the difference maker of that idea existing, uh, it's it's pretty massive. So yeah, the, the impact estimates uh, end up being pretty uh, significant. Uh, these, these impact estimates are for uh, CE charities uh, that have been launched. So it's not necessarily the impact of, uh, a random charity getting started or every charity getting started or that sort of thing. It's from this like pretty particular crowd of highly filtered ideas, highly filtered people. Uh, but yeah, I think I think it is uh, an extremely promising thing in terms of, wow, this is a career path where you can get impact pretty, pretty unheard of in, in other paths. No, definitely. And even if, you know, obviously not every single organization, just like a startup thing is going to go on to maybe do the best, but just seeing that it is possible and has that potential is really crazy. Yeah, and the hit rate is higher. So, I mean, if you go through Y Combinator or some sort of for-profit startup, you know, it might be the top 5% that are really big hits and kind of everything else collapses. The charity world is less competitive in that way. So, uh, you know, when we found five charities, it might be two that end up being these really great field-leading charities, best of the best, assessed by external evaluators. Two that are still kind of finding their way long term. So they're, they're, you know, two or three years in, they're still kind of finding the niche. They've done some good, but not an amazing amount of good, kind of in the middle. And then one that shuts down. 
by for-profit standards, that's amazing. And like, nobody can do that. But I think in the nonprofit world, uh, it is achievable because there are quite specific goals and not every other charity is aiming at those same goals. A lot of charities are, you know, just struggling to survive fundraising-wise. They're not thinking about what's the most cost-effective thing they can do. Or they were started because the person happened to be in that country when they got that disease, as opposed to, uh, let's look at every single country, every single disease, find the thing that kind of is, is weirdly outlierish in terms of how evidence-based it is, and then try to solve that problem. And then something I thought was interesting was that one of the nonprofits I recently interviewed, the Happier Lives Institute, was actually created through the incubator program. And so I'm just curious, are there any other, I'm sure you have a lot, but any other nonprofits you'd like to highlight that have gone on to do some really great work for neglected causes after the incubator? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many. There's so many. But I'll, I'll, I'll pull a few from a few different areas so that people can get a sense of the, the spread of what can be done here. So one that I really like is Family Empowerment Media. They're doing mass media radio messaging um, to promote kind of the, the, the sense of how people can use contraceptives and what the kind of side effects are or lack of side effects are uh, across uh, Nigeria. And they're doing fantastic. They're reaching millions of people. And radio messaging is so, so cost effective that you can just reach this massive number of people. And one of the interesting things that they're doing that I like using them as an example for is I think they're very good at problem solving in a way that charities often neglect or often forget. So one of the challenges with mass media charities, any mass media charity, whether it's radio or kind of uh, TV ads or this sort of thing, is it's really hard to get data because it's hard to randomize. You have to randomize on like a village level. You know, one entire village gets a message, another uh, village does not. And that means that your sample size ends up being really small, even if you spend a ton trying to get a, a randomized control trial. So this has been a major blocker for a long time. Uh, for mass media stuff kind of getting uptaked, like what is the actual effect? Oh, well, it's really expensive to test it. So what FEM did was they actually uh, kind of invented a, a technology or modified a technology uh, to do radio blocking for certain uh, areas so that they could block out the ads that they were running in some areas versus others, allowing them to do randomization on a much smaller level, much more granular. So now instead of saying they have to spend $10 million on a randomized control trial, you could spend, you know, a million dollars on a randomized control trial and get 10 times the power because you're getting much smaller groups, uh, you know, doing a block to block than you would do if you had to do it city to city. So that's a really cool sort of example of bringing a bit more of that entrepreneurial mindset, bringing a bit more of that, okay, this is a problem, we can come around it instead of kind of uh, doing things by the status quo. And I think that uh, big established charities, it'd be hard for them to think of that because they, they're kind of very used to the standard way that things work in the, in the mass media field, which is that it's really, really expensive to test things. So that's a great example. Another example that I love uh, is if we're talking about neglectedness. So one of our charities that have gone really well is working on shrimp welfare. Uh, not the first animal that comes to mind when you think about uh, kind of cute and fluffy animals, but shrimps are are, are pretty, uh, you know, uh, sentient little beings that have whole lives. And if you've ever had them in you know, an aquarium, you, you know, they have little personalities and these sort of things. And we do pretty awful things to them, like cut off their eyes so that they reproduce slightly quicker and, and this sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, there's not a lot of government regulations or, or kind of corporate regulations around shrimp welfare, uh, but it's really, really cost effective. You know, if you do uh, stuff like stunning before slaughter or trying to keep your water quality good or this sort of thing. And uh, this is just a neglected animal, even by animal standards. So even if you talk to people who are normally into, you know, uh, uh, factory farmed animals, which are already neglected, you know, shrimp and fish are even more neglected on that. So that's an example of something that's kind of you know, off the beaten path in terms of uh, a charity idea that, you know, probably wouldn't come up unless you were diving really deep into all the possible research and all the possible areas that, that you could look into. 
Yeah, I know. I remember when I was actually curious about that question, I did see that example and thought it was really interesting. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, they're very, very outside the black yeah. the book. <laughs> very cool. And then, of course, you know, after hearing all the great work you're doing, how can those who want to get involved best do so? Yeah, I think I think the best thing is is a couple different things. Our, our newsletter is quite good, and that gives you a bunch of information about all of our programs. So foundation program, we actually just set up a researcher training program, so that's covered in there too. And of course, the classic entrepreneurship program. So that's really good. The other thing is we try to provide a lot of resources to kind of like test your fit. So we have like a little quiz to kind of test your fit for entrepreneurship. And I recommend you to, to test that out. It, it only takes about 10 minutes. And it, it really, I think a lot of people are surprised. About half of the people who get into our program were quite surprised that charity entrepreneurship was a fit as a career path. So I think kind of like don't preemptively roll yourself out, you know, get to take take it seriously. Like, okay, is this something that could be a fit? And then you can kind of fill out the quiz and hopefully it gives a little bit of a sense of that. And I guess the other thing is uh, just to spread the career path to other people. Like charities don't pop out of the ground, uh, but yet it's not a salient or on people's minds kind of idea. So if you do know people who are a little bit entrepreneurial, maybe they're into social enterprise, maybe they're uh, doing a for-profit with the intent to donate, uh, putting this sort of thing on their radar as, hey, this is a pretty cool career path. It's looking like there's a whole program here to support people on this. Um, you might want to think about it. That's also super, super impactful. Uh, a lot of our people come from recommendations of other people who kind of heard about CE and then thought, huh, this might be a fit for this person. So yes, don't rule yourself out. Think if there's someone who it might be a fit for and kind of uh, uh, spread the idea to them as well. Great. And lastly, is there anything you'd like to add or just reiterate about CE before we close? Yeah, I think the the last one I would just remind people is it really is the people that that make it happen. So we do have, you know, a pretty good funding network for these sort of things. We do have a pretty good idea network. So it really is that that marginal entrepreneur. And, you know, that really could be a massive difference maker in terms of career. Uh, we don't really have an age uh, kind of uh, demographic that we're aiming for or a specific degree or background that we're aiming for. Uh, it's more about these kind of personality traits of uh, greediness. Uh, I say sometimes the quickest way to test is, can you get yourself through an online course independently? Can you kind of push yourself through that? That's a good sign because that's a sign that you're hungry to learn. You can, you can self-motivate because entrepreneurship is very self-motivating um, and you can kind of get something done that you kind of set your mind to. Uh, that's a more important kind of uh, heuristic or, or sense of whether this might be a good career path than uh, yeah, a specific degree or whether you're kind of in the ideal age range or these sort of things. So yeah, people all over the world uh, have gone through a program. I guess we've got like 30 or 40 different countries of people who have gone through age range from 19 to 55. So yeah, don't rule yourself out on silly things like that. Uh, just uh, see if, you know, those core traits might fit. Great. Well, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, fantastic to talk.